Hey, can we do something real quick? Um, yesterday, I believe, if I'm not wrong, and I could be, um, yesterday was pray for the peace of Jerusalem day. So I, I see heads nodding, so I, I, I'm close. So can we do that? Can we just lift up Jerusalem? Amen. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless your people and we bless the nation of Israel. God, we thank you that the Messiah came through those people. God, we thank you that your covenants came through those people, God, the people of Israel, Lord, the nation of Israel. And so today, God, we pray for their peace. Lord, in spite of governmental decisions, in spite of conspiracies, in spite of whatever wants to conspire against your people, today we lift up Jerusalem, we lift up Israel, and we declare peace to you, O nation of Israel. Peace to you, O city of Jerusalem. God, send protection. Put your hand of covering upon them, God. And most of all, Lord, we pray for their salvation, Lord, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that they have long been waiting for, God. So today we bless the nation of Israel, we bless Jerusalem, we bless the Israel people, the Jewish people, God. We bless, we bless, we pray for their peace today, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we pray, God, that prosperity come, protection come, Lord. Re-strengthen our ally, our, our, our sense of connection to that nation, God strengthen it today, Father. God, put leaders in Congress or rise them up, Lord. I don't care how you do it, but Lord, strengthen what's been weakened, Father, in the name of Jesus. We want to be a nation who's on the books, on the record of saying we are a friend of Israel. We love them. We pray for them and we bless them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless them. Amen. All right. Well, today I want to continue um, sharing from my experience, my sabbatical experience. God, there was just so much God did in me and Michelle while we were gone that I just, I want to make sure and I just want to unpackage everything so that you guys can get maximum benefit from what we went through because what we went through, you can apply to your life, okay? It can be yours. How many times have we heard the prophet come and say, hey, when you heard a prophetic word or a testimony, you can say, hey, that's my word. I'll take it. Well, my testimony can be your prophetic future. Amen? Amen. So, so today I want to I continue on that lines, and specifically, I want to focus on what I gained from my week-long experience at Restoring the Foundations Ministry in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And we started our sabbatical in May, had a week or so, and then Michelle and I uh, took off and drove to Hendersonville, North Carolina, where the headquarters for Restoring the Foundations Ministry is, and we did a whole week there. Now, just to give you some background on this ministry, um, Restoring the Foundations Ministry is a ministry that began, began in the 1980s. The Lord started to show a gal by the name of Betsy Kilstra um, that there were four problem areas that every Christian deals with. And so they started to develop that and go into the heart of God with that issue. And then when in 1990, um, Betsy Kilstra, who was working as a um, mental health counselor, along with her husband, Chester Kilstra, um, and he worked as an aerospace uh, engineer. Uh, he was a software engineer. But in 1990, he called those two together into full-time ministry. And since that time, um, they've been training and releasing leadership teams all over the world, bringing inner healing to pastors, to leaders, to missionaries, really anyone who desires uh, to get healing from hurts and habits 
and hang-ups. Yeah, we do. So in May, as I said, Michelle and I went for a week-long excursion of inner healing. Now, what we experienced at RTF, which is what I'm going to say instead of restoring the foundations every time, RTF, what we experienced there as far as inner healing goes, um, it was not really new to us. We were very familiar with everything that they were, they were going to be doing with us. Um, our church has been leading in the area of inner healing uh, for many, many years now. So, so Michelle and I and, and my wife has really helped lead it as well here at the church. So, so we were very familiar with the, the things that they were going to be doing. Um, they weren't new. But what was new to us was the format in which they delivered it. Now, before I launch into um, what these four areas are, and again, today I'm just going to deal with one, but, but before I do, I want to make sure that we all, we all understand um, really what inner healing is, okay? Would you like to know, just from a biblical basis, you know, Bible, or, well, the Bible says this, but, but Denny Kramer prophesied a year ago or two ago, um, you know, that there's, we have a reputation of being theologically illiterate here. But, he's, but, but the Lord said through Dennis, ha-ha, we're going to show them, because that's not the case. But I'm going to help us just be a little more theologically literate. So when we talk about the hocus-pocus, hooky-poo, that goes on out at New Covenant, you can go, no, the Bible, excuse me, the Bible Bible's not hokey pokey, you are. <laughs> You're hokey pokey. Shake it all around. Are you ready? Let's go to our Bible. Chapter John chapter or third John, the book of third John. And there's no chapters, just verses. It's so small. Verse two. Third John, verse two. And he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Everybody say prosper. In all things, yeah, go ahead, be in health, just as your soul prospers. Okay, this is a big deal. Inner healing ministry is ministry that specifically targets the healing of our mind, our memories, and our emotions. Now, in this passage from 3 John, we can see here that John says that our success in life is tied to the level of health that our soul lives in. Okay? John's saying. May you be in health, may you prosper, may you be in health just like your soul is prospering. Just as healthy as your soul is. You see, when we receive salvation through Jesus, our spirit man becomes alive and perfect. Our spirit is infused with the Holy Spirit and it's perfect nothing's wrong with it unfortunately our soul which is where our mind our will our emotions reside and our body do not become perfected everybody go <laughs> especially the body part So our spirit, when we get saved, our spirit's perfected, it's alive, it communes with God on a perfect level, there's no problem. The problem is our soul and our body. And that's why we have to go through the process of renewing our mind and our body by feeding on the word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, some of you will know this. 
It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Who knows a good place to see the pattern of the world constantly smashed in your face every day? TV, work, the internet. How about face puke? Man, oh man, oh man, you want to know what the world thinks, go to face puke. You want to know what Christians who say they're Christians but act like the world think, go to face puke. But our mind has to be renewed. It says, do not transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. It's a job. There's a work going on for your emotions, for your memories, for your brain, for the way you think and see the whole world. It's not perfect yet. It's in the process. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, if you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a second, I got saved. What else? I don't have to work for it. It's by grace. He's talking about this process of transformation, working it out. See, you are perfect in your spirit. But that thing is tucked underneath your soul and it's hidden behind this body and it's got to go from being perfect in there working its way out to here. So there is a process of getting our mind, our will, and emotions lined up with the Word of God. And it is the process of working out your salvation. Now, I'm going to blow your mind, so be just go, just be ready for. The actual goal of Christianity is not to act like Jesus. Everybody go, whoa, whoa. The actual goal of Christianity is not to act like Jesus. That's where we get religious people and hypocrites. The goal of Christianity, here it is, double. The actual goal of Christianity is to think like Jesus. That's the goal of Christianity. Because if you will think like Jesus thinks, you will naturally act like Jesus acts. Now, now when I say, when I say our, the goal is to think like Jesus, I don't mean to have a logical agreement with what the Bible says. Oh, I believe that. That's true. Yes. Love your enemy. You know, pray for those who, who curse you. Yes, good, good advice. I agree with that. Oh, Chad, that was wonderful about the tithe. I, that's wonderful. No, that's not what we're talking about. When we, when we say thinking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus is a logical agreement. Yes, you don't lose that. But it's also an emotional agreement with who Jesus is and what he says we are to do. That is thinking like Jesus. And the key to change, if you want to know how to change, you're tired of stuff you keep doing over and over and over, tired of it. The key to change is believing something different, not trying harder. Okay? Oh, I'll just, I'm going to get up and do my quiet time, and I know I will today, and I'm not going to hit my snooze. I'm going to set it 10 minutes early, so when I do hit my snooze, it'll, it'll work itself out, you know, and then you don't get up. 
I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm going to try harder the next day. I keep trying harder, harder, harder. And guess what? It's not changing. Why? Because there's something you think. You believe my bed is a better time than the time of the Lord. Just be honest about it. Just be honest. I mean, don't pretend. I love my binky wubba. I love just waiting here till I have to slam my clothes on and just run out the door. Just admit it. But see, if you really want to change, don't just start trying harder. Believe differently. The fact is, you cannot do what you don't believe you are. And you can only receive what you think you're worth. Those are some good one-liners right there. So if you ain't writing, and I know who is and who isn't, then you got to go to the podcast and listen to this again. You can only receive what you think you're worth. So, inner healing ministry is a specialized ministry focused on renewing our minds, our emotions, to be healthy and prosperous, which results in success in life. We're all looking for the brass ring. Well, it's not because you're going to reach harder. It's not going to be because you stab people in the back to get there. It's because you're going to think and believe differently. So as I said before, Restoring the Foundations, RTF, they deal with four specific problem areas in every Christian's life. And today, I'm just going to talk to you about one area. It's called Generational Sins and Curses. And this was the first area that they dealt with us, walked us through, Michelle and I, while we were at RTF. So, what is a generational curse? What is a generational sin? Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, beginning and ending in verse 5. It says, You shall not bow down to them, meaning idols. That's the context. You shall not bow down to idols nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Okay, now we're just going to stop right there. First of all, what does the word iniquity mean? Well, it's just a big fancy Bible word of saying sin. Sin. Missing the mark. And so what God is doing for us in this passage, is he's saying here in Exodus, he, he is revealing to us a spiritual law. Everybody say spiritual law. And that spiritual law says that when our ancestors sin, have iniquity, trespass, whatever, when they have a sin that they've committed, that sin follows down the bloodline to the third and fourth generation. Now, I realize that this is really hard for us to understand in our Western culture mindset. And here's why. In our modern view of ourselves, we love to see ourselves as completely separate from anything before us and anything after us. We love to think that this life, it's all mine. And I'm responsible for it. And that's it. End of story. No one else is affected by my choices, by my decisions, but me. Unfortunately, this is not how God thinks. 
See, God thinks in terms, when he thinks about his people, when he thinks about all of us on this rock, he thinks of people in terms of families. He thinks in terms of generations. So just let's think about for just a moment. Think about all the times in Scripture where God describes himself by saying he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't just say, oh, I'm just the God of Abraham. Those other two losers, they're on their own. Now he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God does not see us as individuals. He sees us as an integral part of a family that has existed over many generations. As a matter of fact, from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, God planned every single one of us. In his mind, we already existed before we were ever born. And the book of Hebrews points to this. Hebrews chapter 7 talks about Levi. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9, verse 9 and 10, says, Even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So, what's the, reader, the writer of, of Hebrews saying? He's saying that, um, he's telling us that Levi was paying tithes even before he was born. Because he was in the loins of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Okay, Levi is a couple of generations down. But Hebrews is telling us that because he was good, Levi comes from Abraham, that even though he wasn't born yet, when Abraham paid tithe, it was, it was accredited to Levi also as paying tithe. And because he was a part of Abraham, Levi received the blessing of Abraham's actions. Okay, you see how God thinks here? He doesn't think, wow, what you just did, you know, all by yourself, just about you. So whether it's a blessing or whether it's a curse, our ancestors are affecting us. Now, as we think about this, I mean, it's, it's natural, I realize, to think this isn't fair. This isn't fair. You know, I shouldn't be affected by what others have done. I don't even know most of them. Anybody know their great-grandparents? I didn't even know my dad's parents. They were dead before I was born. But you see, here's the problem with that complaint that this isn't fair. The problem with that complaint is that <clears throat> that complaint starts from our point of view without actually considering the nature or character of who God is. So let's look at Exodus 34. Exodus 34, starting with verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So let's get this clear. God is good. God is merciful. And God is just. Everybody say yes. See, God stands ready to forgive, and he does and will forgive as soon as his conditions are met. Otherwise, the other aspect of God's character, his justice, which is so basic to who he is, it prevails. And the sins of the fathers are passed down to their children. You still with me? So at this point, I realize that even some might say, you know, why do we have to know about all that stuff? Why do we got to drudge all this stuff up from the past? You know, why do I got to deal with this? Didn't Jesus pay the price for judgment? Well, the answer, short answer is yes. Jesus paid for it. Absolutely. He did take judgment. He did take the wrath that was for us. He did that. So, we need to ask a better question. The better question would be, have we appropriated, personally received, and applied what Jesus has done for us? That's the better question. Have we appropriated it? Have we received it? And have we applied it to our life? See, the way it works is we have to, to get freedom in your life. Guess what? You got to receive it. You got to have it. We have to receive the forgiveness that Jesus brought to us through God's provision. Well, how do we do that? How do we get those good things working in our life? <clears throat> We do it by confessing the sins of our fathers and then our own sins. And then we appropriate what Jesus has done on the cross to break the power of the sin that's continuing to affect us. Does that make sense? So, so think of it like this. Salvation through Jesus Christ has been available to the whole planet for 2,000 years. Everyone. It's available. But how many of you were automatically, just spontaneously combusted into salvation? None of us did. How come there's so many dead and dying people out there? It's available. Jesus paid the price for everyone. Why isn't everyone walking around happy and gleeful and wanting to do what God wants us to do? Because we have to receive it. We have to apply it. We have to appropriate it. By faith, salvation takes hold of our lives. The same is true when it comes to our own, our physical healing, when it comes to deliverance, when it comes to your finances or, or the direction in life that you're going, you know, or, or the gifts of the Spirit, excuse me, even love. It all has to be received by faith. I have to say, yes, it's mine. I take hold of it. I accept it. I believe it. I'm living it. I'm giving it away. By faith. Faith is believing that a promise of God applies to us and receiving that promise as fulfilled. Am I making my point? And until we know about these promises and provisions, 
we cannot by faith receive what Christ has appropriated to us. Right? Unless someone tells us, how will they know? And who's going to tell them unless someone goes? This is true for everything that we receive from God. We must receive and apply the wonderful freedoms gained for us at the cross. Everyone say amen. Amen. Now, I want to make a very important distinction here about the sins of the fathers, curses, visiting their children. Okay? When we read in Exodus that the sins or the iniquities of the fathers is visited or passed down to their children's children, it's just that, okay? It's just the passing down of iniquity. And here's what that looks like, okay? Imagine for a moment that your, your great-grandfather or your great-grandmother had a little something-something on the side of their marriage. I mean, imagine, let's say, great-grandpa or great-grandma, they had an adulterous affair. If your great-grandfather or great-grandmother never repented for that sin, never applied the cleansing blood of Jesus to that sin, it gets passed down to either grandma or grandpa. Now, if grandma or grandpa end up having a little something-something on the side, it's now their sin. And if neither of them, whoever, comes down through, repents, if they don't apply the blood of Jesus, guess what? It gets passed down to your mom or your dad. Now, maybe... Maybe dad didn't actually have a full-on affair, but he liked porn. And he had a Playboy subscription in the 70s. Maybe mom didn't go out running around town, but she had an emotional affair with the milkman. Well, if mom or dad never apply the blood of Jesus, they never repent for the sin. Guess what? It gets passed down to you. Now, as this sin gets passed down generation after generation, it's important to understand that everyone who's affected by this curse, by this sin that's passed to them, now listen, okay, they're not guilty of that sin. If grandpa had an affair and no one has repented, not my parents, and it's come down to me, that sin's come down, but I am not guilty for grandpa's affair. However, here's what does happen. The iniquity passed down, it does affect us. And the way it affects us is in the area of pressure. You see, when this iniquity gets passed down, it cannot force anyone to go sin. Can't do it. Cannot force anyone to go have an affair, to go be an addicted person, to be in anger, whatever. It can't force us, but it can put pressure on you. And a tremendous amount of pressure. And unfortunately, sometimes that pressure is so great as that unrepentant sin comes down the family line and it puts pressure on you now. Sometimes that pressure is so intense we give in. And guess what? Great grandpa's adultery sin, it's now mine. Because now I'm engaging in it. 
But it is not until we open the door ourselves and participate does our ancestor's sin or curse become our sin or curse, okay? Am I clear on that? Everyone clear on this, okay? I'm not saying grandpa's going to make you go to hell. Great grandma. You're not guilty for their stuff until you participate in the same thing. In fact, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, clearly the Bible tells us this. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, it says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Now, some of you may be saying right now, why do we have to suffer for what our ancestors did? Well, the answer is, guess what? You don't. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to if we deal with the sin God's way. You see, we only suffer when we enter into the same sins and make their sins my sin. Their sins become my sin when we don't appropriate God's provision for freedom. And that phrase, we, we enter into their sins, it describes the process of taking their sins and making it our own. Although maybe our ancestors have set us up, God only holds us accountable when we enter into that sin. So let's look at an example of this. I want to really clearly show how this, is, how this works. We all know who Abraham is. Abraham is known as a friend of God. That's his reputation in the Bible. He's known as the father of all them that believe. Right? You can go to James 2 or Romans 4 to verify that. His response of faith and obedience in the major decisions of his life pleased God immensely. However, when Abraham went down to Egypt as a result of, the fam of a famine where he was at, Abraham adopted something. He started engaging in something. And we're going to read that. Genesis chapter 12. Starting in verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me but will let you live. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, what did Abraham just do right there? He told a lie. And here's the thing. As we... If we were to read the rest of the story, not only did he lie, but his lie made it all the way to the supreme leader of the nation of Egypt. See, the story goes on and says that Pharaoh did treat Abram well. But it also says that Pharaoh took Sarai and had plans to make her one of the wives. So, wow, <laughs> looks like a white lie isn't so harmless. See, now Abram's lie has put Sarai, his wife, into the arms of Pharaoh. And why? 
just to save his own skin. Well, guess what? God is not okay (laughs) with any of this. So because of Abram's lie, Pharaoh and his entire household get wrecked with a severe disease because he took Sarai to become his wife. Now, Pharaoh's a smart guy. He is running a nation. And he realizes that Abram lied to him. And so Pharaoh gives Abram his wife back and he tells him to hit the road. (laughs) Like, get out of here. Just go. Now, this is, it's such an amazing story. Because when you, I mean, if you really think about it, one little white lie had the power to reach all the way to the heads of state and inflict a severe di- disease on their entire household. When I read this story, I have to ask myself, what, is, what effect is, is the little white lies I tell myself? What effect is it having on others? On me? My leaders? How much suffering that I experience in life is tied to my falsehoods and my fabrications? I think that's a good question that we should all be asking ourselves. But back to my point. Here we have Abram. and He's he's not Abraham yet. God hasn't changed his name. But here we have Abram telling a lie that affects the leader of a nation. And as you read the entire story, you'll, you'll see that Abram never repents. For that lie. Never repents. Never says, oh Pharaoh, be far from me, forgive me. Oh God, I build an altar and I worship and I sacrifice, forgive me. Never happens. Never asks for forgiveness. He never acknowledges his sin at all. Sorry, y'all got sick. No biggie. God will make you better. I mean, nothing. He simply leaves town. He just walks away from the problem he created. So now let's fast forward to his son, Isaac. Now remember what what God said in, in, in Exodus chapter 20, right? The sins of the fathers are visited to the children, to the third and fourth generation, right? Remember that, okay? So Isaac's possibly the first generation, since we don't know much about Abraham's father, um, you know, maybe, ter- you know, Terah, which is his father, Maybe he was a liar too. We don't know. We'll just assume it started with Abraham. We don't know. But, but we can look at Isaac and we can notice something happening here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Verse 6. It says, Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, funny, funny. She's my sister, because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Why? Because he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. Wow, isn't that coincidental? How, how strange, you know, because Isaac wasn't even born when this happened, so he didn't even, as a little kid, you know, see this happen with his parents. How weird, something dad did before he was born. He's verbatim, like word for word, doing the same thing. Surprise! Daddy's sin has now shown up in his baby boy. And again, remember, did Abraham ever repent? Not that we know of. Bible doesn't record it. Never repented, never asked for forgiveness, never dealt with the sin of lying. And the Bible says it gets passed down to the next generation. So 
Question is, is Isaac, was he guilty for his dad's sin of lying? No, he wasn't. But his father's sin did what? Created pressure. Pressure. Pressure on his life to give into it and to make it now his own sin. And in this case, Isaac literally falls into his father's sin word for word. And if we read the rest of that story, we see that another king discovers and he confronts Isaac on the matter. And, and once again, you know, why did you lie to us? Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, why did you lie and tell us this was your sister when it was your wife? And what does Isaac do? Nothing. Oh, I'm so sorry, King Abimelech. Oh, I'm so sorry. Father in heaven, Father of my, God of my father. He never repents. He never asks forgiveness. He only makes an excuse that he was trying to save his own skin, just like Pop. But let's not stop there. Let's go to the next generation. Let's look at Isaac's son, Jacob. Genesis chapter 27, verse 18. says, He, Jacob, went to his father. Jacob went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his dad, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And I have done as you've told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. So now we have Jacob lying to his father Isaac about who he is in order to get the blessing that was supposed to go to his older brother Esau. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see how now deception is becoming a way of life for a whole family tree? It's becoming an acceptable way to get stuff done in my family. What kind of stuff do we have in our families that have become acceptable ways of getting stuff done? Deception is now becoming an acceptable way of life for Jacob and his ancestors. And of course, it's not without its negative effects. See, now, now this unconfessed generational sin of deception is starting to devour the family. It keeps passing it along, and now it's devouring the family. And Isaac and Esau both feel the bite of this evil generational sin. Isaac gets lied to, and Esau gets ripped off. And again, we never see Jacob repent. We never ask, see him ask for forgiveness for the deception that he committed. But why stop there? Let's go to one more generation. Genesis 37. Now we're down to all of... Jacob's kids. <clears throat> and then they, they're bro- the brothers of Joseph, you know, Joseph had the dream. Hey, you're all going to bow down to me. How the, isn't that cool? No, it's not. We hate you. So his brothers, they got Joseph's robe and they threw him down a hole. Then they sold him off. They took his robe that his dad got, slaughtered a goat. This is Genesis 37, verse 31. Slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they took the ornamented robe back to their father and they said to him, We found this. Examine to see whether this is your son's robe, not our brother's robe, your son's robe. Interesting. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Here it is one more time. 
the family iniquity gets passed down to Jacob's sons, and they deceive their father into believing that their brother Joseph has been killed. And the family sin is continuing to devour the family because no one resists the pressure that it's causing on each generation. No one is repenting. No one forgives. And this sin keeps going down the family line. And if we were to take time, we could go through the Bible and we could see instance after instance of generational sins visiting upon the children to the third and fourth generation. But I want you to know, we don't have to deal with this. We do not have to be subject to the sins of our fathers. We can be free. Say, I can be free. Now, before I show you how to get rid of a generational sin, I want to look at one notable recognition of a generational blessing. See, if a generational sin uh, can follow down the bloodline and create pressure to do the wrong thing, well, how much more can a generational blessing be passed down and set you up for success? Even more. Everybody say, even more. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it now lives in you also. Everyone say, Amen. You also have blessings that have been passed down to you. And the Apostle Paul identified that this special gift of sincere faith, it didn't originate with you, Timothy. It didn't start with you. It actually started, Timothy, with your grandma. And then she gave it to your mom. And now your mom put it in you. What a powerful inheritance, amen? That's the stuff we should be passing down for a thousand generations. To our children and our children's children. Amen. So how do we get free from this kind of stuff? What did we do? What did Michelle and I go through? Well, during my week at RTF, they gave us a very simple but effective prayer outline, and I want to share that with you today. As a matter of fact, it should be in your bulletin. So if you have that, pull it out. And I'm just going to walk you through. Now, you already got this with Michelle. She just filled in all the blanks when it came to the specifically orphan spirit. Okay, I left all the banks open so that you can deal with whatever. Whatever your stuff is. So, first step. Here's what you got to do. You have to identify the sin or curse that seems to be in my family. You know, it could be something like anger. My dad was an angry man. I was an angry kid. My grandpa, he got so angry, he tore the door off the kitchen one day. That's a family problem. Sexual addictions or pornography or affairs. Follows down the family line. Addictions. Just any addictions. Food addictions. Oh, we're all just foodies in my family. We just like food. 
No, you have the sin of gluttony in your family. It's a curse. So you got to identify what, what negative thing do I see in my family line? What's showing up? What's showing up in my kids? What's showing up in me that I got from my dad? You know, we all have those things. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my mom. And then you have kids and all those words start coming out your mouth. Guess what? There's a family sin. Just wanting to be not that is not enough. It don't work. You got to repent and forgive. So identify what is the sin. Now, in our case today, we are going to focus on lying and deception. Guess what? Everyone's lied in here. <laughs> you probably got parents who've lied. You probably got grandparents who lied about something. Guaranteed, it's probably out there. So today, I'm going to focus on that. So once you identify the sin, you know, again, our family tree has a problem with deception. Our family tree has a problem with addiction. Our family tree has a problem with living like orphans. Whatever. Whatever you identify, you can follow this prayer outline that we're going to go through, and you can rid it from your bloodline. Go, Mind blown again. Just go, forever gone. So, here's the next step. This is where we get to the prayer. First, once we identify whatever it is we're going to deal with, we have to confess it. Okay? So, I'm going to say this prayer, and I want you to just say it with me until we get to the blanks, and then I'll tell you what to say. All right? Are you ready? We're going to deal with lying and deception. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. I confess the sins of my ancestors, my parents, and my own sins of deception, including, and I'll say them, and then you repeat them after me, lying, lying. Cheating, cheating, denial, denial. Minimizing, minimizing, and self-deception. Now, at this point, when you discover whatever it is that's in the family and you figure out all the versions of it, you just list them all right here, just like I just did. Be as specific as you can. If it's sexual addiction then, then, and, you, and it's came in the form of adultery, you name adultery. If it's homosexuality, you name it. If it was incest, you name it. If it was rape, you name it. If it was porn, you name it. Whatever, you name it. You don't just go sexual stuff. Name it. Cut it out. So, that's the first step. Next step, we pray this. Say it with me. Three, two, one, go. I choose to forgive and release my ancestors as well as all others who have influenced me for these sins and curses and for the consequences in my life. Now, this is where you get to think and name specifically. And you say, I forgive dad for being a liar. I forgive mom for being deceptive. I forgive grandpa. Aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, whoever you can think of that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that this thing is going on, you bring and you say, I forgive these people. Name by name, in the name of Jesus. And you release them. And how do you know that you really forgave them? How do you know you released them? You canceled their debt. You can say, they owe me nothing. Here's the next step of the prayer. Ready? Three, two, one, go. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for these sins, for yielding to them and to the curses. I receive your forgiveness. And you let that thing soak in. You spend a moment and let the Father wash you in forgiveness of that sin. Next prayer. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. 
on the basis of your forgiveness, Lord, I choose to forgive myself for entering into these sins. Now, that's important because you've sinned against yourself. You've got to forgive yourself for being a liar. You've got to forgive yourself for being a cheat. Forgive yourself. Once you've prayed that, we pray this next one. Three, two, one, go. I renounce the sins and curses of deception and lying. I break these powers from my life and from the lives of my descendants through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Break it. And then here's the fun one. Last part of the prayer. Three, two, one, go. I receive God's freedom from these sins and the resulting curses. I receive. And then this is the point where you just have another moment with the Father. Because he has something he is going to give you as a blessing to replace the iniquity of deception in your life. So you, when you pray that prayer, I receive your freedom, God, and freedom from this sin, freedom from this curse. God, what do you want to give me? Because I receive it. And he will speak to you something special, something unique to your heart that you can hold on to. When I went through this prayer at RTF and I confessed my sin of deception while I was out there, the blessing that I received from the Lord, he said to me, he said the word truth. And then he said, exposure through my light shining in your heart. Those were the blessings. It was a promise from the Lord that he would re- expose deception anytime it tried to enter me. Or his light would expose deception anytime I tried to spread it. So when you ask God what blessing he wants to give you in place of the curse, he will speak something unique to your heart that will give you an anchor when deception comes knocking to try to get you to come out and play. Nope, I'm a man who walks in truth. I wanted to fudge on that. I wanted to lie a little bit so I could get the benefit, so I could get a little extra, so things would go my way. Just wanted just a little bit. But you know what? God's light lives in my heart. And I'm not going to lie to my employer about my time card. I'm not going to lie to my mom, my brother, my sister, my husband. I'm not going to lie to get things to go my way. Because truth lives inside of me. I was blessed today with truth. I was blessed today with exposure and I am never going to deceive another person as long as I live. In the name of Jesus. You can stand on those blessings and guess what? Now you got something to give the kids. Amen? Amen. So this prayer, this is an outline. Your homework. Go home. Identify what's going on in the family line. Maybe racism, hatred, anger, controlling issues, pride, fear. Oh my goodness. You've got work to do. But if you're tired of feeling compelled to sin, that's how I felt. Until I dealt with a bunch of this stuff. There was a compulsion. It's like a little thing in your head that's just going, do it, 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 do it. All day. All day. Deal with this. And you are going to be on the journey for complete freedom. Amen. We got three more areas to talk through in the next few weeks. But today we're just going to go.
So let's, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for freedom from generational curses. We thank you Jesus became a curse on the cross so that we could be free, Lord. And so today we thank you for teaching us how to apply it, how to appropriate it, how to make it and receive it in our lives to work and to bring success so that our soul Our mind, our will, emotions can prosper so the rest of us can prosper. So we thank you, Father, for freedom today, for all that you've said and done. We bless you, God, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Have a great day. You are welcome. Also, if... uh, as we are going to have a quick water baptism out the side of the door here, if anybody wants to stay for that. Um, Linda Morris, um, Mike Dickerson's uh, sister, uh, recommitted her life. Wave at us, Linda, right there. She recommitted her life to the Lord this week. And uh, she is a lover of God and is completely... Come here, come here real quick, Linda, if you don't mind. Come here, I'm going to... She wanted to confess her faith in Christ publicly, but uh, we are going to uh, water baptize her today. Everybody welcome Linda in the the fold. Thank you very much. I've never felt so welcomed anywhere in my life or comfortable. And any of you that want to stay, I just want you to know that I'm rededicating my life to Jesus today. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's just pray for her. Father, I thank you for Linda and as she has committed herself to you today. Lord, we thank you that she belongs to you. And so, Lord, we receive her into the house of God. We say, Lord, she belongs to you. And I thank you, God, for setting her free. And I thank you, Lord, that she belongs to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Because of some uh, other issues, I'm going to pour a bunch of water on her out the back over here. And so we're going to come on this side of the church. And if you want to experience that, she's not going to get dunked. She's going to get poured on today. And her sins have been washed away in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So if you want to experience that, we're going to head over here.